Let's say praise God one more time. I don't think they heard you. <laughs> and he also wants to tell you that Jesus loves you. Say, Jesus loves you. And I need you to say this. Say, I prophesy. <laughs> so we're going to pray that people would receive God's word today. So just say, Jesus, I pray that people would hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's my nephew. Let's go. Y'all better give God a shout of praise up in here. Good job, Silas. You crushed it. You absolutely crushed it. You absolutely crushed it. Uh, who was here last week for Vision Sunday? Make some noise. If, if you missed Vision Sunday in the last week, no big deal, but I would, I would want to ask you this. Will you please go back and watch it? Because I believe it's important that you hear what God is doing in our church so that you can be a part of it. But I'm going to give you a quick recap as the video did. We're believing God for seven years of favor. And what happened just briefly was I became a pastor seven years ago. When I became a pastor, someone gave me a baseball bat with Genesis 41, 25 through 26, and said that there would be seven years of famine and seven years of favor, which as I prayed into it, God was showing me that there'd be seven years of extreme difficulty and followed by uh, seven years of incredible favor. Now some good things happened from 38 to 45 over this last seven years. I became a pastor seven years ago. But honestly, it was so hard, I couldn't tell. Any, anybody ever been in a season where I can't tell if this is favor or not because things are so difficult, but there's some things that are blessing you, but there's some things that are, you know, bringing you into this space where like, God, what's going on? And that's literally what this last seven years was. And so I really believe it's been confirmed over and over again as I went to tell the church that God was releasing seven years of favor. It was confirmed over and over again. In 2018, I, I went to see Pastor Stephen Furtick preach, and he preached literally that passage of scripture uh, and, 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 and showed a, a clip of a baseball move, movie. Uh, in August, I went to this pastor's retreat, and this guy that I met two times came up to me and said, hey, whatever you're getting ready to tell your church about seven years, you need to know that that's God. And I had never mentioned anything to this person. So it's, it's really about seven years of, of harvest, seven years of incredible increase. And the first area is going to be a harvest of righteousness. I really believe that we need to lean in and want God to give us his character. I think we decide what's good and what's bad, and God's like, no, let my word decide what's good. I need to get you prepared in your character. And so if you feel like, uh, like things have been tough for you and, and this season you thought you were doing good and now God's breaking all these things down in your life, it's not because he's dissatisfied with you. He's getting ready to prepare you to be able to handle what God wants to give you. Because your gifts and your ability can take you places that your character will kick you out of if you're not careful. And so God needs there to be a harvest of righteousness. The second thing there's going to be is a harvest of souls, where we need to actually be used by God to help people know who Jesus is. And, and, and really, the, the church um, it needs to rebuild its reputation, if I'm being honest. We're too known for trying to shove scriptures and truth in people's face, and we're not even the most loving people that we've ever no more. Remember that? I, I remember some of the Christians I knew growing up were some of the meanest people ever. It's just like, shut up, be quiet, I'm trying to pray in tongues. Like, wait a minute, like, wait a minute, I'm three, you know what I mean? Like, so 
I, I just think that we need better examples of, of truth and grace and really living what we say. And so there's gonna be a harvest of souls where, where God is going to bless you to get the attention of people that he's good. But he doesn't want them to see a blessed person without his character. Like he, he doesn't want you to be blessed without his character because he wants them to want the character as much as they want the blessing. And so this is important. There's gonna be a harvest of souls. And there's gonna be a harvest of increase. When I say increase, I mean wisdom, influence, authority, and finances. So for example, a lot of you are believing for more money. But if you were in a place in your life where you were so spiritually mature that someone could put you in charge of a budget that had five billion, I've never seen anyone be in charge of a budget with five billion that was broke. So it's not that I wanna have money personally, I also wanna have influence and authority over, over money that can help bless the community. So God's gonna bring increase in wisdom, finances, authority, and influence. And my job, if I'm your pastor, is to prepare you for all of this. Now when I say seven years, I mean it's gonna begin now, and we're gonna see things happen in your life that you've been praying for and believing for for the last seven years that seems like it hasn't been happening. You're gonna see increase specifically in entertainment, specifically in politics, in education, in business. If you wanna do anything at all for God's kingdom, you are in the right place. And I can say that boldly to you. And so we've been, we talked about this vision last week and we said right now in this season, we just need three things from the church. Again, if this is your church, to be present, be generous and be connected. I said this last week, I said be present, be generous and be connected. And honestly, it started with me. Uh, I went to New York a couple of weeks ago and I went to get, uh, this is my favorite store in New York, where over the years I've never been able to buy a jacket from this store in Manhattan. And then finally, the Lord bless your boy, I was able to buy a jacket. It was a nice jacket, like good jacket. It wasn't too expensive, you know, a couple few hundred bucks, just a little something, something, something for your boy. You know what I'm saying? And uh, went there and got the jacket. And you remember, like, I was looking, like, it was warm, too. You ever buy a jacket, like, it's starting to get cold, and then it heat up, and you just, some of y'all in church like that on a Sunday. I see you out here with your big goose-down jacket, and it's 85, because it's new, and you want to flex. And so I didn't flex, but it got a little cold. Just got right at 71 degrees, so I wore it this last Monday. <laughs> Wasn't even hot enough for it, but I'm, I'm putting on this jacket. Waited too long, and one of our staff members said, I love that jacket making a big deal out of the jacket. I said, Lord, well, the vision is be generous. And so I took the jacket off and gave it to him. And he was so excited. And then I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to live this stuff. I don't want to be a pastor who preaches the opposite of how I live. I don't. And so then that night I'm feeling good. I said, man, I'm, a, I'm generous. This is going to start with me. So I went home and I even told my wife, I said, babe, I had a long day. I said, babe, you go take a break. You go to the mall. You do whatever you need to do. I got the kids. So I went to Rouse to get some chicken because I'm going to make them some chicken in the air fryer. Now, I need to let you know, this is not a part of the vision of our church. But if you don't currently own an air fryer, I need you to find another church immediately. <laughs> this is not the place for you. You're not operating in Revelation. You got to understand it takes 30 minutes for the skin to be perfectly crisp. The grease streaks down in the bottom. You don't know God if you don't have an air fryer and I don't want you in this church. Now to be fair, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be gracious. If you want to be a part of what God is doing at Oasis, you have two weeks to get an air fryer. Two weeks. Two weeks. If not, 
there's plenty of churches that would love to have you. It's just not this one because there's something about the chicken in the air fryer. Who am I preaching to? Now, at the last service, we understand that many people in this room are in different economic circumstances. So as a church, we want you to know that we're going to invest in your spiritual maturity. If you don't have money to get an air fryer, come see your boy after church. The finance team came up to me after the last service and said, you can't say that. We just gave away four air fryers. I said, get behind me, Satan. No, no, I'm just, Jesus wants somebody to have their chicken crispy without their grease. Somebody. Now, you know you got a black pastor when they're giving out air fryers after church. You know your pastor is black. He gave us something to make the chicken crispy after church. No, serious. We gave away four air fryers after church. So I go to Ralph's to buy the chicken to put in the air fryer. And somebody in the express lane next to me has all their groceries on there. And they say, man, oh, oh shoot, I forgot my wallet in my car. And I said, man, the vision is be generous. So I pull out my card and I said, I got you. And she said, oh my gosh. And when I thought she was surprised I was buying groceries, but she was on the phone and forgot a wallet in the car. And she said, Pastor Julian's buying my groceries. I go to your church. <laughs> and I said, oh shoot. I said, were you at Vision Sunday? And she said, yeah. I said, we in these streets, we, we being generous. We up in these streets. That should be the vision. We back in these streets. So I was living that way and it impacted a church member, it impacted a staff member. And so I want to make the commitment to you, I'm not preaching something I'm not practicing. I'm trying to live this out because I really believe it's going to bring favor. And so this couple of weeks is an invitation into seven years of favor and to be prepared for it. And so I want to look at Haggai chapter one. Somebody say, oh, we're going into Haggai. If you didn't know Haggai was in the Bible, make some noise. Haggai, see? Y'all got to read your word. Got to read your word. Um, and we're going to look at verse 1. And it says this, on August 29th, August 29th, of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, Judah and to Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Now that, that term, August 29th, is there for a reason. There's a date there, and we're going to get into why I believe this date is significant. It says, this is what the Lord of the heavens army says. The people, God's people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They wanted to rebuild God's house, but they were saying not yet. This time that's happening is very similar to what happened to us coming out of the pandemic. We weren't allowed to come to church in certain spaces. There was all these restrictions. And now they were in exile for 70 years. They weren't allowed to come to their temple. They weren't allowed to be a part of it for 70 years because they had fallen into sin. They weren't allowed to be in Jerusalem. They weren't allowed to worship God in his temple. And so now they were just getting back to Jerusalem. They were just trying to figure out what the new normal was. And what they did was they prioritized rebuilding their own stuff, getting their own life together. And they did not prioritize God's people or God's house. And they were saying, not yet. Let's work on our stuff. Let's book a few more auditions first. Let's raise the business. I'm too busy. I got to work on my own stuff because my stuff took a hit. And God is saying, if you would work on my stuff, I'm always working on your stuff. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom and all the things will be added to you. 
And so we're working for things that God wants to add in our life if we would just seek first the kingdom of God. And then it says in verse 3, then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? So by the way, he was comparing not you working on your own stuff. And, and I don't want to say this to trigger anybody because a lot of this stuff has been used to manipulate people to work a 40-hour job and give 30 hours to the church because it's conference weekend. And that's not what we do here. We believe just as much in the Sabbath as anything else. We don't want you wasting time over-serving in the church when you could be at your kid's soccer game, when you could be, a matter of fact, if someone tells you that they're going through a tough time and they want to have coffee on a Sunday, don't tell them no because you got to go to church. Go have the coffee and be the church. We don't want you coming to church, we want you being the church. And we're okay with you missing a Sunday. Now make sure you go back and watch that sermon because you never know, your boy might have preached a word for you that's gonna help move you forward. And so what I'm saying is, this is not a culture where we're trying to use the Bible to get you to work harder on us and you have no self-care, you have no rest, but you're serving in four different ministries. Matter of fact, we look for people serving in multiple different places and we would ask them not to. We do not want you using all your energy here. But what this is not saying is not, hey, you're not, you're not enough, you're not doing enough. He was comparing luxury and ruins, ruins. He wasn't comparing luxury and serving. He was saying, your houses are luxurious. And if you unpack it biblically, they were doing things to their house to make their house luxurious and they hadn't even addressed the temple. So he was saying, you cannot allow my house to be in ruins. Do you understand that this, is, this building you are sitting in is over 100 years old. It was the very first church built on Wilshire Boulevard. It was the largest church at one point west of the Mississippi. And when we bought this building in 2013, it was a ghost town with 50 people because a congregation that used to be the biggest west of the Mississippi had stopped being connected, had stopped being generous, and had stopped being present. And the opportunity that we got to own this building was because of the indifference and the apathy of the congregation before it. And God forbid that I'm going to be selling this building to a church because we did not be present, we did not be generous, we were not connected. God wants to do something through you, for you, and in you that affects generations. And we got to be thinking about that. And so God's not trying to be mean here. He's not trying to say, hey, you guys are not, but he's saying, come on, you, you, you're, you, you're being, you're operating in luxury and this place is in ruins. This is what the Lord of the Heaven's Army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. He was saying, this is happening because y'all are not present in my presence. You need to be here. Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25 is actually one of the most profound verses in the Bible. And it's one that people use to get people to try to come to church every Sunday. By the way, I think you should come to church every Sunday that apathy or indifference is trying to keep you at home. Like you can clap for that. But if you got a meeting, if you can close a business deal, like, I'm not talking about God has blessed you. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that if Jesus is your shepherd, you come and go freely through the gate. 
But God will judge you for the reasons why you're not here. The Bible says that God doesn't even mind cold. We're so worried about atheists, but he's worried about lukewarm Christians who have lost their passion. Like, no, like, keep your passion burning for the house of God. Because if you don't, then, there, then the enemy will give you just enough apathy to have you not be in here on the day you need a prophecy. Because God is obligated to do what he said he would do. But if you never heard him say it because you were too apathetic, then he doesn't owe it to you. So you got to be present. Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day of Christ's return, the day of the favor, whatever the day is, we should gather more. It's going down, good or bad. And I think we gather more when things are bad than when things are good. But it says, let us spur one another to good works and love. You know what that word spur means in the Greek? It's literally the same word as a cowboy spur. It's a sharp object. And if we're going to grow as a community, we got to stop babying each other, man. We, like, we are so like, you can't send anybody an email if it doesn't have an emoji, an exclamation mark out of, after every sentence. Are you mad at me? Not, like, dude, like, let's... Like, I'm not saying we got to be critical and judgmental of each other, but that word spur means that if you said to your homegirl or your homeboy that you want to be married and they see you texting multiple people that are not husband or wife quality, the word spur is this. They walk up to you and they go, yank, 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 prison shank. You tripping. It's not, well, I understand why you like him so much. No, if you're not doing what God has called you to do, it's a, it's a shake. Not enough to kill you, but enough to poke you to let you know you're going the wrong direction. So a spur is used to correct a horse that is designed to run fast. So if you have no one around you to correct you. Now, this is where correction has gone wrong because a lot of people correct other people because they're dissatisfied with them. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about correcting people so they can meet your insecure expectations. I'm talking about when you correct someone who is lazy and not going to work, you need to tell them, I've seen you having provision in your life. I've seen you being able to, to not have to worry about money. I've seen you in my spirit. I prayed for you to be able to know that God is there for you, but you got to get a job. See the spur at the end? It's like, yeah, yeah. Have you ever had a person in your life where you don't even talk to them because you got to spend 30 minutes of figuring out how you're going to say it? And you don't know how they're going to take it, so you don't say anything? We need to tell our friends, is there anything that you want to tell me that, you, that is going to bless me if I do it? Start making ourselves be humble because mo most people will not tell you. Now, I will tell you. My wife will tell you. Not everybody's designed like that. So we need to give people the opportunity to speak into our life. That's the purpose of coming to church, so that we can be shaped and fashioned into God's people so that we can have God's blessing. James 4 verse 10 says this, humble yourself with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord. And what does God do? He will exalt you 
will lift you up and give you purpose. So when you are present, that's, the Bible says that's humility. We cannot have a church full of people who have nowhere else to go but church. Because some people in church, because they're desperate, and God gets that. But when you could be somewhere else and you show up, God's like, now that's what I'm talking about. That's humility. That's humility. And so this, this prophet Haggai is speaking to the church, speaking to God's people. Well, not the church, but God's people. And this was the first prophecy after they had returned from exile. The very first word of the Lord was, y'all aren't showing up. You know how powerful showing up is? I remember one time, uh, maybe 2015, I was in Pastor Philip's kitchen, who is our incredible founding pastor. And he was talking about just like feeling like he was getting older and that he was praying to see who he would transition the church to. I want you to understand, I'm in there. And he was praying to see who he would transition the church to and told me about it. And I didn't feel no kind of way about it because at the time I still wanted to be in the music business. I was trying to get paid. I'm trying to get paid. I was trying to be a millionaire. I'm trying to live in the hills. I'm trying to, like, I wasn't trying to be a pastor. So it didn't mean nothing to me. And I said, well, how do you think you choose someone who's going to follow you? He says, you know what, I'm not sure. But what if it's just like that person that Elijah chose? He chose Elisha and he says, if you're there when the Lord takes me, it's yours. He says, sometimes I just think that whoever's there when God decides I'm done is going to take the church. And I don't even know if it was my purpose. Maybe I was just there. Maybe, so, maybe you just need to put yourself in the room. Maybe you just need to believe again. Maybe you just need to try again. Put yourself in the room. How can God bless you if you don't even show up? You don't see NBA players at the house talking about, I'm believing I'm going to put up 30 tonight. No, you got to get up and go to the freaking stadium. Like, it doesn't work that way. And sometimes Christians are so, are, have so much faith, they do stupid stuff. Like, think that God's going to do something with inactivity. But no, he says, you got to get back to the house of God. It's the first thing he said. Now I want to unpack a little bit when he said it. He said, he said it on August 29th. And I started praying about this because the, the August 29th jumped out to me. And I'm like, why was August 29th significant? Because it was in the month of August that people would go check the vine for figs. They would go check the harvest. If you were here last week, this is the time of year where the figs would be harvested. And I read Luke 13, verse 6, where it says that Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. If he was a smart farmer, he would be checking for figs right around the month of August. And now here's God in August talking to them about their harvest and how it was much smaller than they wanted to be because they were out checking the harvest instead of being in the church in God's presence, being in the temple. And he says, y'all are so worried about your harvest. Don't you know I want you to have a harvest? Don't you know I want this for you? One of the biggest attacks of the devil is he makes you want something more than God wants it. God wants it too. So we need to want the Lord. God told me a few years ago, I'm getting ready to give everything to somebody who wants nothing but me. This is so important. So they're checking the, the harvest for figs, and God's like, y'all are coming up short because we're not rebuilding this thing. And verse 7 says, this is what the Lord of the heaven army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. 
Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because there it is again. My house lies in ruins, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. And verse 10 says this. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. Whenever you read something in the Bible, try your hardest not to skip over things. Because this is a big statement from the Lord. It's because of you that the, earth, that the heavens withhold the dew. The dew? I'm like, I've never heard anybody pray for that. Heaven, send your dew. You ever go out in the morning and see the dew and you're like, thank you, Jesus? Like, this is a weird thing to say. My wife loves any kind of weather, so she would go out and thank Jesus for the dew. But you ever seen the dew on the ground and go like, God, you're so good? Not, not that heaven's withheld the finances, the heaven's withheld the grace, the heaven's withheld the dew. So I'm like, this is weird. Like, I, I can't tell our church, believe God for dew. I can't. It doesn't translate. And so I looked it up, and basically the reason why he was saying that is God would send rain to water the seeds you put in the ground. And he would do that in the spring. So in November, the, the rains would soften the, the desert dirt so you could even put your seed in the ground. And in the spring, it would water the seed that you had in the ground. But then in August, when it would begin to grow, you know how hot it is in the Middle East? For some crazy reason, the dew in the Middle East would settle on the harvest and it would keep the harvest from wilting so it could get bigger. So when God was frustrated with people not obeying him, he would withhold dew so that people would watch their harvest spoil on the vine. I'm about to crane kick this thing off the... So, so the dew was provisioned so the harvest would get time to get bigger and so that you could pick it at the right moment. So he says, at some times, the heavens would withhold the dew, not the rain. He's already blessed you with the rain. But when the harvest comes, you needed the dew so that the, the sun wouldn't scorch. And, and the enemy has a way of sending a scorching sun on the things that God has called you to have. And God says, that is not going to happen. I'm going to give you provision to stop that from happening. And so I said, man, so you want us to be present. What does dew have to do with being present, being connected, and being generous. And the Lord is so gracious to me. I wish I could tell you I could get these things out of Bible studies, but I don't. He just speaks to me. He took me immediately to Psalm 133, because we're talking about being connected. And he said, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. And he compared the unity of a community to two things. He said, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron. So he compared it to the anointing oil on the leader. And what God is saying is that there's been leaders who are anointed by God to preach everywhere falling. And for some reason, we can't seem to think that God wants to bring the church together in unity. And if he can bring the church together in unity, it produces this same anointing that it is on one person to preach the gospel. So he says, if I could compare anointing oil, which is God's divine ability to do something, it would be like when God's people get together and be connected. He compared it to anointing oil. And the second thing he compared it to in verse 3 is the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
He compared community to the anointing that ministers have and the thing that preserves the harvest so it can get bigger. When you are being connected, God is preserving your harvest for just the right time so that when you pick it, it's not like them old nasty green bananas at the coffee shop. It is right and ready to go and big and expansive. We have got to be connected because some of us are believing God for something that's too big for just us. And he's saying, if you would get connected, I could give you something even bigger. And so he says, I've called on a drought on the fields. And he begins to break down all of this. And listen in verse 14 where he says this, which is crazy. So then he tells people the vision. And then he says, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel. He sparked the enthusiasm of Jeshua. So the priest, the government, and the people had enthusiasm for God. It didn't say he, he sparked the communication gift of the pastor to manipulate the people and get them all riled up. There's nothing, the counterfeit, the counterfeit for spirit enthusiasm is pastor manipulation. Where we have to get a communicator just good enough. It's one of the reasons why you notice that somebody who's a dynamic communicator always has a big church. Because he's motivating them. I'm not a motivational speaker. If the spirit does not give you enthusiasm, I don't want to excite you. I want the Holy Spirit to give you an enthusiasm for his vision, for what he said over your life, for what he said over you that's going to impact generations. This is not a speech. We have to respond to the word of the Lord. And if you don't feel like this is what God is saying, I get it. But if it is, let the Lord give you enthusiasm for what God has called you to do. If we do this, it's easier for us to be present and to be connected. Now, what about being generous? I believe this is the biggest missing piece in the church. And partly it's because people have abused this. We see, you know, pastors abusing finances. And, you know, I get it. You know, like, like I, I, I get it. Like, I get maybe some of the things you've seen. But don't let that cut you off from the principles because a person misused it. Because listen to what 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8 says. It says, let each one, each person give how? Thoughtfully and with purpose. And this is so profound on where you're supposed to make the decision. It said, let each person decide in their heart. Not decide based off the cause. Not decide based off even what they have in their account. Let their heart make the decision. And all I'm here to say to you is that there's no way your heart is saying nothing. And I don't want finances in the church that aren't coming from cheerful and generous hearts. I don't want it. I remember one time, this a few years ago during all the crazy stuff with the voting and stuff, this guy emailed me and he said, I'm going to write a check for $20,000, but I need you to tell me who you voted for. $20,000, but I need you to tell me who you voted for. And you know what, it, you know what I told him? I said, for 50, I'll tell you. <laughs> for 100, you can tell me who to vote for. <laughs> I can't keep going with that joke. My wife looking at me, I feel her eyes on me right now. Because I almost told you what I'd do for 500, and I would for sure get an email for that. You know what I'm saying? Listen, 
250? I'll vote for who you tell me about. No. But in all fairness, I did send them out. I'm like, hey, like, that's not the right place to give the money. That's not the right heart. Like, I don't, I get what you're saying, but that's not the right heart. Like, that's not why we give. That's not why we're generous. That's purchasing loyalty. That's not generosity. I think I'm good. And I checked for two weeks to see. He said, I really respect that. Thank you so much for answering that way. And I checked for two weeks to see if he gave it. He did not. I was like, dang it. Could have had $20,000. But no, nah, man, I, I just don't want a church like that. And so here's the thing. It's, like, it's based off what we believe. Genesis 26, verse 12, I do not give, I'm not generous because it makes me feel good. Although that is it sometimes. But the main reason is because it's a principle that I have found works. Listen what it says. Cheerful giving, decisions made in your heart, and verse 8 is this exactly what Christina and I have experienced. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, doesn't matter the economy, doesn't matter, regardless of the need, having complete sufficiency in, in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him and have an abundance for every good work and every act of charity. God is saying, I'm going to give you enough money. If you never, if you feel like you don't have enough money, check the places where God has asked you to be present that you haven't been. Check the people that God has asked you to be connected to that you haven't in and check your generosity. I've never met a person who was present in the places they were supposed to be, connected to the people who they were supposed to be connected to and generous who doesn't have resources. So check those three places out of humility. And my job is to lead you to those three places because I want you to be able to buy your own air fryer. But in the meantime, because we're gracious, if you don't have the resources to buy an air fryer, everybody in this church is eating crispy chicken. Matter of fact, let me just release the vision for 2023. Vision for 2023 is crispy chicken. Somebody make some noise for crispy chicken. Not that old nasty, slimy oven chicken y'all be cooking where the skin doesn't get crispy. Listen to Genesis 26, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land, the land where he was, and reaped in the same year, somebody say same year, 100-fold. Does anybody want to reap 100-fold? Then sow in the land in the same year. So when I'm telling you to sow in the church, it's because I know I'm praying for a hundredfold. When I'm telling you to sow into your job, I'm praying for a hundredfold. Wherever you sow, the Bible says God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. Sow into the places you want to be successful. If you want to be married, sow into someone else's marriage. Give them a date night. Let Watch their kids. If you want to have children, watch someone else's kids. If you want to be an actor, go, go watch somebody's kids so they can go on an audition. Sow in the space that you want to reap. Most people work in the space that they want to reap, but they don't sow in the space that they want to reap. And they're saying that their harvest isn't there, but God doesn't say if you work, he says if you sow. Now it takes work and sowing. The reason why I'm here is because I sowed into this house, and now maybe I'm just reaping a hundred times more than what I sowed. Listen, a lot of people don't understand this about my preaching. Christina will tell you, how, uh, how late would I be up working on puppet shows for the kids when I was a kid's pastor? Two o'clock in the morning because I had to work. Working on puppet shows for preschoolers. I had my own puppets. Hey, they were named after Reverend T.D. Milkshakes. <laughs> Billy Graham Cracker. And Tito Testimony. 
And it's the fact. Three-year-olds will be waiting in line, and I would speak prophecies over them with the puppet. puppet with the puppet would lay hands on three-year-olds and release blessing. There's favor happening in a kid's life right now because Reverend Billy Graham Cracker prayed a blessing over them. But, but I sold that. It wasn't like, oh, this is just my launching pad for ministry. Nah, I sold that. You see me outside, these kids still come up to me. I'm not Pastor Julian to these kids. I'm Uncle Julian. This is not, that's why when you see my name come on the screen, you notice what it says? It says Julian. My, my title is not my identity. I don't want to be treated like a pastor. I don't want to be honored like a pastor. If you can't honor your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, or your husband, maybe our marriages are struggling because we give the pastor more honor than we give each other. No, I don't, I don't need that. We, we don't even honor God. So let's put God's title on the screen. Savior, Redeemer, Healer. You get what I'm saying? He's, he's God. I don't, I don't need the recognition. But I want to lead you to this space where you can understand the power of being And by the way, you are in this room. If this church has blessed you at all, do you know it's because people who came before you were present, generous, and connected? I want to show you a couple of pictures on the screen. I'm going to invite the team to come up or, or the team to come up. And let me show you these couple of pictures on the screen. The tower center, the bell tower, the tower chimes. We're working on being able to fix our bell tower where we can ring it. There's a big old bell tower that rings and plays. This organ back here plays chimes throughout the city. Listen to this. The tower chimes dedicated to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, a gift from Mr. and Mrs. Louis Eugene Grigsby. In 1927, they donated for the bell tower to be able to ring because we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have email, and how they reminded you that church was happening is that the bell tower would ring all over the city and would wake you up and get you to come to the house of the Lord so that people would be marching into the house of the Lord as the bells rung, letting you know it was time to have church. And these people in 1927 paid for you to be able to sit here a hundred years ago. And, and, and Mr. and Mrs. Louis Eugene Grigsby are probably in heaven right now worshiping with angels, grateful, because what they sowed is still bearing fruit in 2022. Can I show you another picture that's on our screen? Look at this. Wilshire Boulevard Christian Church, Christ Jesus himself being the chief, chief cornerstone. This was put on our building in 1925. 1925. The very first pastor of this church I want to put this binder that we found in the building filled with letters from his church members. Reverend A.C. Smither, 1890 to 1910. This binder is filled with letters from the church encouraging him, telling him to keep going. And because Reverend A.C. Smither in 1890 believed God, you can meet with the presence of Jesus right here, right now, because someone 130 years ago was connected and was giving and was present. And in 2013, we bought this building and it was a ghost town because somewhere along the way, people decided that this wasn't important. And so we were able to get this church building. Pastor Philip and Pastor Holly were our pastors at the time. And this church building was $9 million. And newsflash, we didn't have $9 million. 
and it was between us and another church. Interesting enough, that other church does not exist. And the reason why they gave us the church is they said, we said one sentence to them. We said that we want to continue the legacy of what God has been doing in Los Angeles. And the other church was from another place and just had a bunch of money and they had never been in Los Angeles. And they said, because you've been here 30 years, we want to make sure that what happened to our church will never happen to yours. That, that 30 years from now, people will be worshiping the Lord. And, and people were crying. But the bad news was we didn't have $9 million. So we went to the bank to get a, a, a church loan, which is very difficult to do. But the church said yes. The, the bank said yes, we're going to give you the loan. And everybody rejoiced. They said, but you're going to need to put $2.5 million down. We did not have $2.5 million, but we believed God back then for $2.5 million. But then they said, not only do you need 2.5, but you need it in two months. Pastor P went, oh, Lord, Lord. Because in nine months, the church had never raised more than 600000 So Pastor Philip was praying. This is in 2013. Pastor Philip was praying. And he says, I don't know if I should enter into this contract because I'm not sure if our church is going to be able to come up with $2.5 million. And then the Lord reminded him that a prophet from Africa came to the church in 1996 and spoke a word about getting the building. So Pastor Philip went through all of his garage trying to find this cassette tape, wondering if there was anything on the cassette tape that could encourage him to move forward with the building that you just worshiped the Lord in today. And he found the cassette tape. And so I called Pastor Philip this weekend and said, by any chance you have an audio of that cassette tape from 1996? And he said that he did. And so I want you to turn your attention to the screen so you can hear what was prophesied over this church in 1996. For God I've got a work for you. God said, you've been seeking my face and praying. And God said, it is just like the children of Israel. You went from here to here to here. But God said, I'm getting a resting place for you. I'm getting a resting place for you. I'm getting a resting place for you. For your heart is for evangelism to bring the people of of colored of all colors together for this is your burden and this is your prayer and God said I'm going to give you a church of United Nations where I'm going to put the melting pot together and I'm going to bring people from all race from all over to minister but God said as I do this I'm putting a burden upon you to have the school of ministries the school of ministry shall come forth, said the Lord God. And God said, yeah, it shall come forth. For God said, I'm getting the building, I'm getting the area ready for you, that you're going to train and equip the people. And God said, that spirit of evangelism that is upon you shall come forth. God said, son, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the money. When it's in the vision, there's going to be a provision. If there's a vision, there's be a provision. For God said, son, don't you know that even... The riches of the wealth of the unsaved is laid down for you in this ministry. For God said, there's some money that is going to be released from the government for you. There's some certain funds that is going to be released. And God said, that finances is going to begin to come into this ministry. So get your paperwork together, get the things together. And God said, then I'm going to begin to release this money. And God said, it's going to be a blessing. Know that I've brought you to the kingdom of God for such an hour as this. In this ministry, for God said, this ministry is going places. This ministry is going places. And for once, don't think it's not going to go, but God says it's going to take off. And I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide you. There's a bus that I'm about to give you to this ministry. 
and it's going to be like a bath for evangelism, picking up people and doing other things. For God says, get ready. Great things and awesome things are going to do. Then God says, I take you through that transition. Then the next transition is the land is going to be available for you. And God said, I'm releasing 2.5 million to you that you're going to purchase the land and build. So, son, don't be afraid. Go on. Know that I've called you and I'm going to provide. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Nineteen ninety-six. We just had a meeting this week about a school of ministry in this building. During the pandemic, we had to get um, help to keep our staff and our team. So we had to get our paperwork together. And notice, he said, "Get your paperwork. The government is going to help you, and then there's going to be provision for the vision." But not only that, not only that, but in nineteen ninety-six, my mother passed away. That was the year that this man gave this prophecy. In 1996, my mother passed away, and I went to a youth night or a young adult night, and that was the first time that I encountered Jesus. And I encountered Jesus and accepted Christ in 1996. So as that prophet was given that, pa- that prophecy, the next pastor of the church was getting saved. I'm telling you right now, y'all better give God some praise up in here, because when God has a plan... He has a plan. No, stand to your feet and worship the Lord. Because when God says he has a plan, he has a plan. People sowed into this building in 1890. Prophecies went forth in 1996. I was 19 years old. And the Spirit of the Lord raised me up and I accepted Christ so I could come here to preach you today. Never stop being present. Never stop being connected. Don't stop being generous because God has a plan in your life. Where there's a vision, there will be provision. Come on, church, where there's a vision, there will be provision. God is saying right now, son, daughter, open your eyes to what I have for you. I need to fix your vision because there cannot be a provision without vision. Without vision. Without vision, there cannot be provision without vision. God wants to show you before he provides to it. And some of us want provision so God can prove that he's good. No, our faith is to prove that God is good. God is trying to give you vision for your family. God is trying to give you vision. I'm a byproduct of vision because Pastor Philip and Holly started a church in a house in 1984 when I was seven years old, 12 years into the ministry. They got a prophecy and I got saved in that year and 10, 15 years later, I'd walk in the doors of Oasis, broken and jacked up, having no idea that the word of the Lord that went forth in 96, that I was going to lead the church in the school of ministry, that I was going to lead the church where there'd be vision and there'd be provision for the vision. And I'm saying to you right now, this has been in the works for a hundred years. And I know I gave you a seven-year vision, but I gave you a seven-year vision that's a hundred years old. And if God has a hundred year old vision. You don't think he's going to bless you. You don't think he's going to heal you. You don't think he's going to provide for you. You don't think he's moving on your behalf. Come on, give God a great shout of praise if you believe that God is moving. Give God a shout of praise. Come on, take one minute to release the craziest praise into this atmosphere. If you believe this word is for you, that God's favor is on your life, that he does want to bless you, that as you move forward in faith, that God can do all things. I know what you're thinking. I know you think it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Does anybody believe it? Does anybody believe it? 
Father, we thank you. Right now, stir the enthusiasm of your people. In the name of Jesus, we honor your name, Jesus. All of this is to bring you glory. God, we repent for the days we've made it about us. Where we tried to figure out other ways of spirituality, like manifesting and praying to the universe to get what we want. When God, you're saying, I, I have a plan for you, it's a hundred years old. Before people had weird spiritual ways to make things happen, we don't need to burn any sage. We need to worship God. The Bible says no weapon formed against you will prosper. You don't have to worry about a negative spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord in the name of Jesus. So God, lift people up in your presence. Guide them, encourage them, fill them fresh with the spirit of the Lord that will increase their enthusiasm for your house. Father, we... We come in here and we humble ourselves before you knowing that you will make a way. You will make a way where there is no way. You will prove that you are God. So Father, we, we ask every person under the sound of our voice that wants to be a part of this church, we ask that you stir them up, fill them up, prepare them, guide them and lead them to all the things that you have for them. In Jesus' name. Come on, in Jesus' name. Give God a mighty hand clap of praise. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Now I want you to pull out your phone right now. Before you leave, I want you to pull out your phone right now. Because you're saying, Pastor Julian, I'm in. I'm in. I'm with, I'm with you. I want the air fryer and the blessing. I want you to text, say less, to 213-568-0505. 213-568-0505. You're going to be getting weekly encouragement. From, from, from me and, and different things that I believe will help prepare you. Just text message it right now. Last week, we had over 400 people text in that say, I'm in. I want to be a part of what God's doing in the church. And it's super encouraging. The other thing too is if you want to begin your journey of giving, we believe rough estimates that well over 100 people last week started their journey of giving, wanting to sow into the place that God has blessed them. And just like those people 100 years ago, we have people sowing into the church now so that 100 years from now, people will still be worshiping God in His place. So if you started your journey of giving last week, I want to say thank you. I'm encouraged. I know God will bless you. And you can start that journey of this year. I was telling the team, man, is there any way to just tell people, man, if you, if you do these three things and you feel like God didn't do anything. Like, is there a way to tell people we'll give it back? Like, it's really not about the money. It's about encouraging your faith because we have to sow in the land to reap in the land. And so this is a perfect place to do that. And so you can start your journey of giving today. Just pick something consistent. If you have faith for the tithe, which is 10%, do that. If you don't have faith for that, whatever you have faith for, whatever you can decide in your heart, just start the journey. Do something every month. Be a part of what God is doing here. And you can do that today, obviously online at oasisla.org forward slash give. Is anybody encouraged? Anybody encouraged? I'm so proud to be the pastor of this church. So proud to be a part of this community. I love y'all so much. I got a leadership group on Tuesday nights. If you want to come through to that, we had over 100, almost 120 people come out last week, and we're talking about kingdom mindset. So that's at 7 p.m. here at the church on Tuesday nights. We have a volleyball connect group happening at 2.30. Man, it's, it's God's doing so many cool things in the area of community. Don't be satisfied with being here alone. Meet someone who can pray with you and believe with you, because I believe God's going to use that to bless you. Love y'all so much, and I'll see you soon next week.
Come on, what a word from Pastor Julian. I told you. I told you it was going to be good, right? I told you. Uh, and so uh, this is one you're going to want to remember. Like I said, if you didn't catch the first week of Made for This, go back, rewind, catch all of it. It's so good for us to be on the same page. Oasis in person, Oasis online. God's working among us, and it's a beautiful thing. Don't forget those three things. Be present, be generous, and be connected. Uh, if we all take those on as a serious challenge personally, we're going to see transformation in our lives and our finances and our community. All those things are going to happen because God's with us. So we love you. There's some amazing discussion questions coming on the screen in a moment. Take a screenshot or write them down go through them, and we'll see you again soon, church.